0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California.
1: Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
0: Hi, so good morning. Uh, that was Thank you for the bio, that was plenty. <laughs> um, how's the sound? It's good, it's not echoey? Okay, it's echoey right here, but that's fine if it's good for you. I recently heard someone quote a Buddhist saying that no effort is ever wasted. I don't know if that's a real Buddhist quote or it could be a misquote, I don't know. Um, But uh, I don't think that's true. Um, There's lots of efforts that are wasted in the sense that if we're aiming or heading or having a certain goal, something we want to attain, you know if you're trying to let's say you're trying to improve your tennis game and you've reserved 2 hours at the court and rather than working on your serve you spend most of your time talking with your friends at the end of at the side of the court you have wasted your time in that it's it's not serving what your intention was with those two hours, it doesn't mean that it didn't have a lot of benefits or effects. You had the camaraderie, the connection with your friends, but it just wasn't in service of what your intention was. So in that sense, you know, it was time wasted. Um, I do think it's true, it's certainly true, that there is no effort or no action that does not have some effect. That is absolutely true. And that is why it's so important for us to be clear and in touch with our intentions. What do we want our lives to be about in the broadest or deepest, biggest sense? And what then, how do we apply that day by day, moment to moment, so that being in touch with, clear about our intentions is, is foundational For everything we do, if we're not clear about our intentions, oftentimes we're just led around by our likes and dislikes through our day. And many of us, most of us probably spend a lot of time that way. That's part of being a human being. That's what the Dharma is pointing to, that we're trying to start to make a shift in so that we're not slaves to or just at the effect of our likes and dislikes, if you will. So we have some freedom and choice. So I'd like to first take just a few moments and ask you, invite you to reflect for yourself. You know, what are your intentions or aspirations for your life? But really, I'm thinking in thinking big, in the big picture. What do you want your life to be about, really? Really? And so you may, I'm not going to spend much more time here, you may want to, if you have not reflected in this way before, take some time, take a lot of time. And in fact, um, it may be something you want to reflect on daily. Just a few moments when you begin a meditation period or just at some time in your day. And then letting the conscious connection or awareness of your intentions or your aspirations, inform your actions. Now, of course, there's, there will be many times in which despite our wholesome, our best, our beautiful intentions or aspirations, we do waste time or we, we want to head in one direction and we're just... It's just not what's happening for us. We're going in a different direction. There's various forces or energies in life that are pulling us in different ways. And so that's going to happen. And that's one of the reasons, one of the important reasons why in Buddhist Dharma teachings there are a number of frameworks or structures or systems in place to help, help us. So for example, we've got the Four Noble Truths, or the Eightfold Path. Some of these, I, I, many of you I don't know here, so if you're newer uh, to Dharma teachings, perhaps you may or may not have heard some of these, but you know, if you spend any amount of time coming to a place like this or other Dharma centers, these are teachings and topics that you'll hear many times, so don't worry if you don't know these things I'm mentioning right now. Seven Factors of Enlightenment is another uh, important list um, for Foundations of Mindfulness. You notice every, the ones I mentioned are these numerical lists. Some of that has to do with uh, the way these teachings were preserved. And it's just an aid to, uh, to as a categorization. Um, sometimes Buddhism is called a religion of lists. And... Um, there are there are lists of lists even. That's true. <laughs> so, you know, it goes on and on. So we don't want to uh, become overwhelmed by all these lists. You don't have to go off and memorize them all. Uh, many people find that uh, some formal study is supportive in their practice. And other people, just through talks like this or, you know, listening to other talks, that you you hear this over and over and it just... Um, becomes more familiar. The important point is uh, how are these structures or these systems supporting us to live more authentically or more uh, in deeply attuned to what our highest and deepest aspirations are and intentions. That's the whole point of all of this. I want to say something about one of these particular structures. It's a list with five elements, so it's short. You don't have to remember all these five elements. I'm going to mention them briefly. I'm going to spend most of the time focusing on two. The first and the last of these. This list is called the five spiritual faculties. It's also, the identical list is all, also appears under a different name. and You may hear it called the five spiritual powers. So it's given as two lists, but it's the same list. We don't know why it was, uh, it was recorded in, in this way. But anyway, it appears as two lists. It's one list. The first element, and the one I really want to spend the most time on today, is faith. So please take just a moment and notice how, when, how that lands for you when you hear just the word faith uttered. Right? For some people, it can carry a lot of baggage for many of us. That's not a judgment. Nobody's doing anything wrong. It's just the way it is for many people, depending on our upbringing and, you know, just our cultural conditioning. And it can have a quite negative connotation for some of us. So I'm going to come back and say more about that. Um, From a Buddhist perspective, it has a, um, a particular meaning that goes beyond what it might be a pejorative to when we call faith blind faith that adds a kind of a negative connotation um, and i'm I, I'm saying that i'm not uh, i don't mean to be disrespectful of any other religions or beliefs i don't have opinions about what people's religious beliefs should be um, I'm just pointing out that in from a Buddhist perspective. Faith is... Well, I'll come back to it in a few moments and say some more. So, just let that one sit there. But let's just say that in order to un- undertake anything in life, there has to be some... Faith may be a strong word, but some belief or sense or hope or wish, some understanding beyond our direct experience, that it may lead to something. Oftentimes, that faith is, can be informed through some direct experience that can, get, that can strengthen our conviction that there may be something here. But you wouldn't come to a place like this for the first time. if there. Well, you could come here. You know, there could be a friend who said, come on, we're, we're going come with me, there's this center in Redwood City, let's go meditate. And you may think, well, what's meditation? And then it may not be a faith, it may just be um, an interest. Uh, and you may come just to check it out, out of curiosity. But if we're going to, uh, if, if you hear something then when you show up, and, and it sticks or it resonates a little, that's giving you some inkling at least, some idea that, oh, there may be something there. Let me take another step let me go a little further in the example I just gave there may be some we can say faith or sense that something beyond what we've directly experienced um, may be possible but even there it's been informed it's not just a pure blind faith you heard something in the talk or there was a sense in the group there was something that that, uh, kept you moving forward it's out of that faith, then, that leads to the next of these five spiritual faculties, the next piece, which is energy. If, if, if for any of you are interested in the Pali word, it's uh, viria, which is related to the English word virile, so it has that kind of macho, you know, John Wayne feeling to it. Uh, so, so it doesn't... Energy doesn't always have to have that intensity, and I'm not going to spend much time on this particular element, but just to say we start to apply ourselves in some way. We actually meditate, or at least attempt to, or we might listen to talks, or read a book. We do something. We put in some energy. How do we apply our energies, The next, or our efforts? The next element, then, is mindfulness. Sati and Pali. We actually start to practice. Through those practices, there are many, many qualities that are strengthened and cultivated. The next one in this list that's being emphasized in Pali is Samadhi. It's the word that we generally translate as concentration. I don't care for that word for Samadhi personally, but we're we're kind of stuck with it because it's the one everyone uses. But it also can have many connotations. uh, But it basically means the ability of the mind to become less distracted, more stable, more present. That's the samadhi. Through being mindful of, say, our breath as a practice, it leads to, to to the mind actually becoming, say, more concentrated, more still. And many of you have experienced that. I'm sure there are people here who are waiting to... Uh, have their first taste, you know, when, when is it going to happen? I'm, when am I actually going to feel this? They keep talking about this is kind of the faith part again, which may be doubt actually, which is the lack of the faith, right? When is it going to happen? I've been practicing, it's not happening. It does. And it is something that can be experienced. So you may or may not have uh, tasted that for yourself. And then through the mindfulness and the stability or the concentration, then that opens to the uh, last piece, which in the Pali language is punya, which the two main translations I'm thinking of for today are wisdom and the other is discernment. Wisdom has a sense of a quality, something that's, that you just have. And the discernment has more of an active feel to it, right? We can bring the, our, the wisdom or bring the discernment to something and in fact and this is the important piece in from a Dharma perspective from a Buddhist teaching perspective discernment is meant to be applied to everything we're doing so it, it's like a feedback loop and it even goes back to the faith this is what I'm gonna spend most of the time on today even if we're new and the quality of discernment has not been cultivated is not not very strong in us we bring whatever discernment we have even to inform the faith we also bring it to inform all the other qualities so for example in our mindfulness practice we want to bring the discernment factor in because we need to pay attention to what's actually happening in a moment is what's happening is it working is it not working is it serving us? Is it heading us in the direction? Are we getting the du- results we want or not? And then that informs, it's called skillful means, it informs the practice. It may be telling us that we need to make some shifts. Right? That's the discernment. We don't want to get stressed out about this. Oh, I have to be all you know, on top of everything and watching. Is it working? Is it not working? We don't want to be stirring up our minds. The good news for all of this practice is you don't have to have more discernment than you have. You don't have to be any better at any of this than you are. For every one of us, it is literally true that by bringing energy or effort just the best you can, whatever that looks like has effect. Remember although there are efforts that can be wasted, there's no effort that doesn't have an effect. So it's literally true that when you put in effort in any way it's having its effect. When, when the mindfulness uh, when we undertake mindfulness practice you don't have to have any skill when you begin. Right? It's like any, anything else you would undertake. Right? If you're new at anything, learning a sport, to play a musical instrument, if you're, um, you're in school and you're, you're, you're at the beginning of the semester of a course, you don't have to know much. You just bring what you have to meet the material. You engage in it and it's enough. It's exactly the same in meditation practice. If you can barely sit still for one minute, it it may feel unpleasant to try and sit longer, but it's okay, it's fully enough to continue to grow and deepen in the meditation practice. If you don't have much stability or, or concentration of mind at all, it's okay, you just have what you have, that's what you work with. And that's good news because you couldn't possibly have more than you have, right? I mean, by definition. So even when people say, oh, no, but that's not true for me. I'm, and fill in the blank, I'm too lazy or I don't try or I get distracted enough or "I, I, whatever it is, I really could do better. No, you can't. If you could, you would. And it's okay. These qualities strengthen and grow. Even if we judge our efforts, and it's just these judgments are generally uh, inaccurate because oftentimes we're the least qualified to judge ourselves because we're caught up in it. We're not objective. But even if you, you judge your efforts to be feeble, it's fully enough. And so, similarly with the discernment, you just bring as much knowing and awareness as you can. And the example that I love is if you're following a trail, a path through the woods at night, and you have your flashlight, you can only see, what, I don't know, 10 feet in front of you maybe with your flashlight? You don't have to see further than that, it's enough. You can see enough to know, oh, the trail goes this way, not that way. So you can follow the trail. And you get 10 feet ahead. Now you can see 10 feet further. Just seeing that little bit is enough to complete the entire journey safely and come to the end of the path. It's exactly the same with these practices we're undertaking. Exactly the same. You just bring as much intention and aspiration as you can, as much sincerity as you have, and you try it out. And then we see as it starts to open uh, and reveal itself, what was faith starts to become verified bit by bit through our direct experience. We bring the discernment piece, the last of the five elements, back to meet the first piece. What's going on now? So, I invite you to take a moment right now. Look into your own life. See for yourself if there's been any... It doesn't even have to be related to Dharma practice. Pick any aspect of your life where... It could have been a long time ago, maybe many years ago, some area in your life in which you used to suffer or struggle in some way. could be around relationships or self-esteem or substance abuse. It could be anything. Just one thing. For which now, when you reflect back, you, can, you realize that you don't struggle or suffer around this particular aspect of your life as much as you used to. See if you can find one thing, even if it's shifted a little bit. That's a real shift that happens, right? You just notice for yourself. So we start to notice. That's then not a faith or belief that something can shift. It's 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 direct experience, and it's the same for all for our meditation practice and for, for dharma qualities. Oftentimes we don't notice because we're not suffering, or it's it's not popping out to our awareness. We're just not struggling around something anymore. We're just free, and sometimes we're not aware of it unless we make a point to look and see. I think it's fine to approach Dharma practice with an aspect of unverified, or if you want to say blind faith, a little bit. That's okay as long as we're aware of what we're doing and we, we're staying attuned to, to, to see what happens because um, dharma teachings are meant to be all of them. The entire dharma is meant ultimately to transcend faith and become uh, directly verified through our own experience. but what are we to do what from a dharma perspective what was the buddha teaching us about how to approach his teachings f- from the perspective of faith when we haven't verified these teachings for ourselves there's a very one of the most well-known and famous suttas, the discourses that were preserved of the Buddhist teachings. It's called the Kalama Sutta, and it was delivered to a, a group, a clan called the Kalamas. And the Buddha came into the, the village, and they said to him, you know, we have all these different holy men or holy people coming through town every day, every week, whatever, and everyone that comes through claims to be enlightened, have the ultimate, the real truth, the right path. And they tell us that all these other people coming through are deluded and they, have the, they don't have the truth. And then they leave. And then another one comes into town and says, oh, no, no, that guy was here last week. Nope, he doesn't have the truth. That's wrong. This is the truth. And they're all contradicting each other. And we're confused. What are we to believe? Who are we to believe? How are we to discern? And then the Buddha famously tells them not to blindly accept any teaching or teacher. And he gives a list of criteria. He says, just because they have a good reputation, don't go by that. Just because they tell you. you know, For any reason that you can't verify for yourself, Don't go by that. Don't go by blind faith. The Buddha is bringing the discernment piece in at the beginning. This is often used by people who say, Buddhism then says we're supposed to just not accept what anyone says and just go by our own inner sense. But that's only half the picture. There's the other half of the sutta that people are, then leave out. The Buddha continues. It's true that uh, we all have an inner teacher and inner guidance that I think it's very important to stay attuned to. Our own inner knowing, our own intuition, our own sense, our own experience. right? And our trust in that grows and grows over time. So we want to nurture that and strengthen that and learn to trust it and that's something that comes through experience. The tricky place is is that sometimes our inner guidance, oftentimes it's colored by our own, it's a euphemism, the, the, the three qualities that are often, that sum it up is greed, hatred, and delusion. By greed, it's, it's again, it's a euphemism. It, 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 it really it, uh, covers all aspects of being um, led around or at the effect of our likes or our desires for wanting more of what we want. And <laughs> hatred means it's more than it, hatred's a strong term, but anytime we're wanting to push away or get rid of what we don't like, some kind of aversion. Greed, hatred, and then the delusion is the underlying, uh, you could call it an ignorance or, well there's a lot we can say that's a big topic about delusion, so maybe I just won't even uh, start on that one. But we're often led by our greed, hatred, and delusion, mistaking it for our inner wisdom, as long as we can, but actually that's not a problem, well it is a problem that it creates suffering, when, when we fall into that. But if we can keep the discernment piece alive, we do the best we can. There may, be, by definition, you can't see your own blind spots. So that's alright. We make the best choice we can. Right? We, there's a situation, a circumstance, we take some action. And it's, there's a, you know, life, this is the learning tools of the earth. There are, there's a feedback mechanism. We, something, we get some response. And it's telling us either, oh, that, that was a wise and skillful action, or uh, that wasn't so good. <laughs> if we can learn, it informs and it strengthens our connection with our own Inner knowing—that's how it grows. So, so on one level, if we can hold it all with that understanding, it doesn't matter. We're going to do the best we can, and and you get the result you get. And then we, instead of beating ourselves up or tearing ourselves down, we just use it. We know that we're sincere, right? I'm guessing you wouldn't. Every everyone here, you wouldn't be in a place like this if you weren't sincere. So you're doing the best you can. Sometimes we'll act more skillfully than other times. So the Buddha, and this is why we need some of these structures and frameworks. So the Buddha continues on with the columnists. He's saying, don't, he doesn't say, therefore, you just follow your own opinion. No. He, he continues and asks the columnists something very specific. He says, he asks them, is greed, hatred, and delusion, do do greed, hatred, and delusion lead to your welfare and your benefit or to difficulties, to suffering? And they say it leads to difficulties. And he says, he asks, is a freedom from or an ending to or a lack of greed hatred delusion is that for your benefit or or or, and they say yes it is for our benefit and so the Buddha then says when you know for yourselves those things that lead to the ending of greed hatred delusion so he's pointing them to yes you want to uh, check in and know from your own experience your own inner teacher wisdom but he is giving something specific But he's asking us not just to take it on blind faith, but to look and see for ourselves if if that's true or not. And then, really the whole question is, what is in service of freeing our minds from greed, hatred, and delusion? And that's the whole path that we're on. That's the lifetime, this great adventure that we're all involved in. So that is the way to uh, understand Uh, faith, if you will. We're given something, but then we need to look and see directly for ourselves. So how are we... Oh, I should add one last thing on the columnist suit just to be complete. Then he also adds in, he says that people should uh, cultivate what are called the four Brahma Viharas, another list. Uh, And there are four qualities of uh, loving kindness. The next is compassion. The next is often translated as sympathetic joy which is uh, a happiness at at the happiness of others. And the fourth is equanimity. He just puts that out, says you should do that. But in the spirit of the sutta, uh, we want to investigate for ourselves. So you can, I'll ask you, uh, it's a rhetorical question. Um, Is it to your benefit to cultivate a heart of loving kindness and compassion? And equanimity, right? So we can look to that for ourselves. So I want to end with then bringing it all of this back to here and now in the present. How are we to evaluate a teacher, teaching, and a community? It's really the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, the three refuges, right? So by Buddha, I'm thinking you could think of as the historical Buddha as a teacher or then we will expand that to any teacher. Right. Well, I recommend that you bre- keep the discernment piece in there. Now that, that can slip over into skepticism and that's not what I'm talking about. But you want to look and see, do they walk their talk? Now, when you first begin, you won't know very much, right? You'll see what you can see. And with time, as you, as you spend time with someone, see the quality of their own being. Have they embodied these teachings into their own being, their own presence, the, 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 their, the way they speak and act? Right? So you want to check it out for yourself. And so more and more that faith then becomes verified through your direct experience. And the same thing for the teachings. You want to look and see when, when you're hearing Dharma talks, you're listening to tapes, you're reading books, however you receive teachings. Um, what are those teachings? Do they make sense? Are they in alignment with the general goals of, wh- of where, you know, Buddhist Teachings, you know, ostensibly are heading. Okay. So you want to check it out, bring the discernment. And then also for Sangha community, right? For any community, you want to very much bring the discernment piece. And so you're feeling into how does it feel here? You know, it's not like everybody has to be perfect, but in general, what's the spirit? Is it a safe community? Is it a welcoming community? Does it aspire at least to embody the teachings? So we always bring the discernment piece in the best we can. I think I'll stop there. And Well, I'm, we're, I'm up against the clock. I wanted to, well, maybe have time, if just maybe briefly if there's a comment or question or two. Yes.
1: My name is Shankar. I started coming here four months ago and I've been through. Uh, I've been a meditator for the last uh, nine years, but infrequently. Uh, always skeptical about: Does it really make a difference? Is it nice? Uh, am I just feeling nice in the moment? And then there's an exponential decay, and I'm back to my normal self, and so on. Uh, but I have to say, I've been full of gratitude the last four months. I've been coming about three times, four times a month, and. Uh, the thing that really helped me was I asked the questions that you're posing. Is this really what I want to do? Are these people really in it to find something meaningful? And it changed so much that my wife came here twice. She went back and took an unused room in the house and transformed it into a Buddha room because, because I like to meditate and she doesn't, but she likes to do things. So she went and transformed and it's been a great experience. So I'll stop at that, and thank you all, and it's just been a full of gratitude.
0: Great. Maybe time for, if there's one more, either comment or question. Yes, sir. Thank you, Richard.
1: Is there five
0: opposites to the five is there, fi- is there a five anti list to the list you just gave? Uh, Quickly. Yes, um, I'd say this. Um, there's not an, a list that's the five opposites of specifically given as opposites of the uh, five spiritual faculties. But I would say the five another list coming uh, f- uh, the five hindrances could ver- could f- I think fit that just not quite nicely as as not opposites but they're hindrances. <laughs> uh, yeah. And we recognize those as hindrances. Uh, there will be another list that gets talked about a lot because they're up a lot. And then when we recognize the hindrances, we then can start to bring the positives, the discernment, the en- effort, the energy to deal with them in a skillful way. So okay for now? Okay. All right. So, so thank you all. Um, we have uh, one minute to... just to close formally and then I know there's about a 15 minute break before there'll be the potluck. So let's just take this minute and um, please take a few moments if you have not already done so to uh, just turn your mindful awareness, connect in uh, to your body and so just noticing whatever experience is happening in your body. What's happening in your own heart and mind. So the whole range of your physical, mental experience. And notice the quality you're bringing or how you are relating or how you're connecting with your experience. So if there's something happening, maybe if you're tired or hungry or you didn't like something in the talk or whatever it is that's difficult, um, notice how you are relating to what's happening that's unpleasant and see if you can bring a sense of uh, just connecting with, with a sense of allowing, letting be. Staying present with your experience, but just uh, not getting in a struggle. And noticing if there's a place that um, cannot let be so much, um, bring some acceptance for that place. See if you can hold yourself. uh, It's bringing what I talked about at the beginning of the meditation, that ease and relaxation. And it's also a place of kindness towards ourselves and our own experience. And then finally, we'll just end with the dedication of merit. May all the good energies, good efforts, good qualities or traditionally we could say merit that's come about from our time together this, this morning. Uh, let us offer it up. Uh, may it be for the benefit and liberation of all beings. May all beings everywhere um, be happy and peaceful. And may all beings come to an end of suffering. Thank you all for your practice this morning.